Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Dom. And tonight's movie for debate is Apollo 13. So welcome to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast, where it is always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, move upstairs and settle in, as tonight's movie for debate is Apollo 13. So before we go any further, we have to say a big thank you to our patron, Matt, who chose this movie. Don was super happy that you chose this, because this is a movie that he wanted to put on the wheel anyway. So thank you, Matt. If you'd like to also select movies for us uh, to cover on the podcast, you can do so on our Patreon. We'll talk about that and much, much more as we go forward. But before we get to any of that, Dom, what do you remember about Apollo 13? I remember loads from Apollo 13. I absolutely love this film. And I think um, most of our listeners will know that I'm quite a big Tom Hanks fan, so... Um, this was pre-Saving Private Ryan, so this was kind of the first Tom Hanks film that I came across that I was like, other than Forrest Gump, that I was like, yes, I absolutely love this film. Loved it, and still love it now. It's it's brilliant. Uh, so, did you like watch it in the cinema? Was this a home video? Like, where? What was your first interaction with it? This would have been watching at home, um, but I just the premise of space flight and going into space and the, the fact that it's a, a true story as well is is brilliant uh, and I just always think it's a really well put together film with lots of content and lots of information I've just always loved it I've just always really enjoyed it and I think you said something to me the other day off mic um, that I like films kind of like this this mm. kind of more factual kind of films and I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with with that assessment of my uh film enjoyment because that's that's true i you know I, I i do love this sort of film what about you what's your memories of this film and kind of when you first saw it i don't know specifically i think it could i may i may have watched it as a kid with my dad potentially this is also the sort of film that he he would like um he probably has some similarities with you in in those sort of ways but i also so as a lot of our listeners also know I worked in Blockbuster during my student days and there was a period just before I was about to go off and work at the summer camp in America for the first time where I had like a week and I was like, I'm going to tick off loads of movies that are on like the list of all time greats that I haven't seen. So I watched things like for the first time. So I watched things like um, Apocalypse Now, American Beauty, you know, sort of films of that nature you got through the a's anyway (laughs) (laughs) i got to b and i stopped (laughs) apocalypse now is heavy going very that's a hard film to watch yeah and films like platoon and stuff like that you know it's so funny you said that because i'm pretty sure i watched them like back to back like platoon i that must have been a depressing four hours (laughs) because it's really difficult to do i think i preferred platoon i don't know if that's gonna be like a controversial one but um you preferred Charlie Ever Martin. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But so potentially I watched it then. But I, I remembered the general premise of them being sort of 
stuck in space or you know i i, I remembered the part where they get all of the materials down on the table and they're like right we need this is what they have up there how are we going to make something work i remember liking all of that and i remember thinking the acting was good and it was shot well and, and all that sort of stuff but unlike you and this is what we were discussing off microphone is though i know the sorts of films that you like and watch over and over again so like saving private ryan so on and so forth the sort of films that I watch over and over again are like what I call my safety films. They're like safety blankets of, or I could watch Billy Madison like a hundred times because I can fall asleep to it. It's like comforting, you know, where these types of films I would watch once every 10 years maybe and be like, yes, that is an amazing movie. But it's not one that I'm going to jump to watch again and again and again. Um, so not to, so it's not to take anything away from it. Uh, it's not it's not my sort of go to for you know regular viewing. I guess. I I think I would I could quite easily watch it multiple times, um, like I used to with Saving Private Ryan. Maybe not to the same frequency, um, but I I can totally understand the the take it or leave it kind of view of it as well because it is it is an exceptionally long film as well for kind of modern day standard as well because now you get a kind of 90 minute film thrown on netflix and this is a lot longer than that mm. so yeah i totally understand that and there's a lot to take in there's a mm. there's a lot going on and a lot happening and it jumps back and forth quite a bit but um no i get the the safety film thing sometimes it's nice to just have something that's easy watching that even in like now you don't really have to pay that much attention to it you can just kind of leave it on and let it roll and be quite happy like tapping away on your keyboard doing something else at the same time or like you do all the housework (laughs) while you're doing you know so we always know that smart house is going to be on top of that list isn't it (laughs) well films like that and then like armageddon so armageddon I bring up because it happens in space. There's problems in space. There are prop Dominic. There are problems in space in Armageddon. Yes. You can make a comparison. They would even it's they both start with A, so they'd be in the same you know alphabetized. They're not even that far away from each other. So we've got Apocalypse Now, American Beauty, Armageddon, and Apollo Thirteen. Exactly. <laughs> that what a Friday night. <laughs> but. uh yeah, I it's it's a really good film. It's a really great cast. Cast is amazing. I would completely agree. It's pretty hard to top that. Um you kind of got a guarantee. You'd feel like it's almost a guaranteed success and Ron Howard directing as well. It's a yeah. Good film. Well, we're spoiling the judgments already. <laughs> wow us. Wow us with the deep dives and the IMDBs and all of that good stuff that you found out. Getting into some knowledge then. Okay, so Apollo 13 is based on Jim Lovell's book, Lost Moon. So Jim Lovell being the flight commander of the spacecraft. Yeah, with his thumb out. <laughs> it was released on the 22nd um, of September 1995, and that's the UK release. It's the first time I've been able to find the UK release like straight away, which is great. Uh, we were eight, so great age, you know, a bit spacey, a bit fun. Um, <laughs> it, it was produced by Universal Pictures. The running time is two hours and 20 minutes. Mm. It's quite a long film. 
for then as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like you can get like the the Irishman on Netflix. It's like three and a half hours. Did you watch the Irishman? I haven't seen it yet. No, I've, people have said don't watch it, and some people have said it, it's good for some of the performances. But some people have said don't watch it because it's just too long and too too Tarantino-y, I think, is what mm. someone had said to me. But I, th- I quite like Tarantino, so it might be worth it. Yeah. we. My wife and I watched like an hour and a half of it. And we were like doing that in stages, in like half an hour segments. Well, it's just a bit slow. Yeah, someone had also said to me that it should have been made into like a miniseries, like three episodes and yeah. kind of done. But And then the de-aging is very off-putting. Oh, really? Because they're like certain... <laughs> well, they... De Niro's like 25 in it sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, probably like I can't, uh, maybe 40 or something in it, or 35, something like that. But he still moves like a 75-year-old old De Niro. <laughs> There's a bit where he's like giving someone like a swift kicking, you know, and it's this isn't giving anything away. But he's kicking them like how a 70-year-old man would kick someone. Some about like six centimetres off the ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you could have just brought the stunt double in for that so, one. You're right. already remo- you're already changing their face. like <laughs> My hip. Yeah, sorry. The problem is, is that okay. he'll sound older as well because his voice is going to have changed over the years, isn't it? So Yeah, so I, I heard somewhere that, you know, your voice constantly changes as you get older because you it's continual strain on your vocal cords so like naturally your voice will just just continually get sort of deeper since we started the podcast it's gonna be worse for us (laughs) (laughs) Um, as you alluded to earlier it is directed by ron howard of happy days fame so played richie cunningham uh in happy days in his youth um i think that ran for quite a while i think you'd be quite surprised yeah. yeah it was like seven or eight years in terms of like if you think about seasons now they tend not to last before like beyond like four years really but happy days have lasted quite a while so do you know mr miyagi the actor i think his name's pat oh, i'm blanking on his last name but um was it was in happy days and that almost stopped him getting the part of mr miyagi because they wanted like a quote-unquote serious actor for that role and they just were like oh this is like the comedy guy from happy days um and they did all these rounds of auditions and then eventually they went back to him and he was the best guy wow and you know iconic nice (laughs) that's good so other films that ron howard has directed um and some big hitters as well there's splash also tom hanks yeah cocoon willow backdraft great film Seen Backdraft? No, Willow um, gave me nightmares. Oh, <laughs> I can see how that would do, yeah, especially at that, that age as well, yeah. Probably did with me too, I just don't want to admit it. <laughs> Backdraft is a great film. It's about firefighters in, I want to say Chicago. I want to say Chicago. Alec Baldwin's in it. Really good film. Donald Sutherland as well. Okay. We'll have to cover that one. Is it? It's 90s then? Good 90s film, that okay. one, mate. Okay. Good night, this film. Did did he do the Grinch? He did. He did. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is is on the list. You know, Jim Carrey said he had to have like military training on uh, military training that they would give to people that could be subjected to torture to get through the makeup process for the Grinch because he had to basically like sit still 
for something ridiculous like 12 hours a day to then only film for like i don't know four or five hours and then have it all taken off he had to do it every day and it was like torture he had to have all this training i think it was like a really difficult experience for him making that movie but it's also i think it's the most successful christmas movie christmas movie of all time like box office wise wow i think it made like over a billion or something that's crazy isn't it yeah did you like the film no i really didn't either yeah it freaked did you me see out it? did you see it in the cinema yeah yeah i did too freaked you out we contributed to that film being a massive success even though we both didn't enjoy it <laughs> willow all over again it's just this green willow well ron howard's bro- ron howard's brother is in like all of his films isn't he clint howard is that his name that's his name glenn clint oh clint uh it's very different from glenn <laughs> i don't know why i heard glenn is uh my dad loves him he always when we used to watch these films as a kid he'd be like oh, yeah there he is it's his brother He's in Apollo 13. Yeah, and there he is in the control room. Yeah, absolutely. It's good good that you know that as well, because that was going to be my little, one of my throw-ins, but you've already thrown it in, so... He's also in a control room in one of the Austin Powers movies. I think it's the second one, where it's like, uh, he's watching the radar, and like it's like a ship or something that's in the shape of like a giant penis. (laughs) Of course it is. And they're always like... Oh my god, it's a giant Johnson and it goes to like the next scene and then do you remember the bit I'm talking about? Yes, I do, yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh he also directed so Ron Howard also directed A Beautiful Mind. Have you seen oh, that? Oh yeah, with um Russell Russ Crow. Russell Crow. <laughs> Great film. Uh, I watched it all the way through for the first time about a week ago. Oh, okay. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, I can't quite remember. I remember the ending. It's one of those films that your dad would guess the ending straight away. Yeah. (laughs) He won an Oscar for it, didn't he? Uh, Best Director, yeah. Oh, do you mean Russell Crowe? Yeah. I don't know about Russell Crowe, but Ron Howard won the Oscar for Best Director for that film as well. Oh, nice. Uh, And just a couple of others. He did The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. Tom Hanks again. And Inferno. So he did the whole Dan Brown kind of series of films. Yeah. Which was all Tom Hanks again, so... He, him and Steven Spielberg must kind of get jealous over who gets Tom Hanks. Yeah. And I kind of had this image in my head of them going, of Tom kind of saying, okay, Steven, it's Ron's turn now. Yeah. So I'm going to go and do his film and then I'll do yours next. Okay. (laughs) Do you know, do you know, think hearing all of these Tom Hanks movies, he was a great actor. You know, the problem you might, you might, give me some hate for this but he does he does play kind of the same sort of person doesn't he like he is always he's you unless that there's ones i'm not i'm missing in my mind but he's always pretty much always the good guy um flawed in ways sure but we're always rooting for him like i've never seen him in anything where he's the antagonist i mean even in voice form in woody and toy story He's the good guy. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. Have you ever seen Road to Perdition? No. Road to Perdition, you'll see Tom Hanks in a completely different light uh, as a character. Because okay. he, although he's the protagonist in the film, he's plays such... It's like such a unique performance from Tom Hanks. I would definitely recommend watching it just oh, yeah. to see him. He's, he's like a, a gangster. And he's going around with Tommy guns and he's killing people and stuff like that. And okay. it's so different. I mean, you're on his side, 
but he's kind of like a good villain, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm not hating on him because I like all of the films I've seen him in. I've always liked and I've always thought he's really good. Um, like Catch Me If You Can, I think is such a great movie. Yeah. Uh, and so many that he's in. Um, but we, we are always pretty much on his side. Mm. Um, just put, But I mean, you can say the same about a lot of people. Like, there's not a Leonardo DiCaprio film that I can think of where we're not rooting for him, you know? Mm. Well, I'll see if I can find one. <laughs> not Leo, Tom Hanks. Yeah, see yeah. See if you can find a Tom Hanks film where you think he's the he's the bad guy in this. Yeah. There must be one. There must be. There must be ones we're not thinking He of. can't have been the good guy in everything. But there are probably a lot of actors that fall in that category, that they're always the good guy. I, I remember there's there was like a fact about like I can't remember I I might be getting it wrong but I feel like it was Bruce Lee that he wouldn't uh lose a fight on screen or something like that yeah to like protect his sort of uh air his aura his uh rep- image his image his image yeah. yeah and I bet that there's not using that as a wild example but it's probably a lot of actors that say well I have to be to protect my brand I'm the good guy you know oh Leo, of course, he was the he was the candy uh, in Django. He was the villain in Django. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, he was in that, but and he was he was horrible. He was yeah. disgusting. So, so he did it. Where are you at, Tom? <laughs> Sheriff Woody. Yeah. <laughs> Reach for the skirt. <laughs> yep. We're good with that, that's it, that's yeah. all I've got. I've just got Sheriff Woody. I haven't got anything else. <laughs> He's never done a bad film. Joe and the Volcano. Joel the Volcano? Joe and the Volcano is a Tom Hanks film. Oh, never heard of it. Massively slated. Oh, okay. Never mind. I'd yeah. probably like it as Tom Hanks. Yeah. Have you seen Bridge of Spires? <laughs> no. I haven't watched it either. One of my friends watched it the other day and said it was really good. That's Spielberg and Tom Hanks again. Of course it is. Yeah. It was his turn. It was his turn to play. Turn. Yeah. I get him this weekend, Ron. <laughs> I'll get him weekend after. <laughs> I don't know Ron Howard sounds like that, but never mind. <laughs> okay, so shall we play the ratings game? Oh, yes. So IMDB have yes. given it a rating. Yes. Simon, what this, do you think it is? This has got to get high. This has got to get high. I'm going to say it's in the eights. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say like 8.2. That's what the film should have got. You get less than that. It got less than that. Really? The film is on a 7.6. That's that's actually really surprised me. It surprised me. Is it in the top 250 on IMDb? I would have thought it would have been. Can't remember. Crazy if it's not. Okay. All right. Okay, so bearing that in mind, Rotten Tomatoes, what are they giving it? Who knows? <laughs> it could be anything. It could be 2%, couldn't it? I'll say, based on that then, I'll say like 75%. So a kind of similar score to what IMDb gave it. Yeah. Sadly, you are wrong, my friend. They gave it 96%. 
This makes zero sense. <laughs> We've talked about this so many times. Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb just don't get on. How is they Ron... are Spielberg and Ron Howard? Yeah. <laughs> How can Rotten Tomatoes say it's like a near perfect film and IMDb? Well, crazy, but okay. That's just the way it is. What would friend. you have guessed it to have been? I w- would you have been in line with what I was saying? Or... Yeah, I would have gone for eight, eight, eight point one around there. Yeah. Yeah. What did I say? Eight point two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Okay, so a bit more onto the budget side of things. How much was their budget to make the film? I'm going to say... I'm going to say 50, 50 million. You are so close. I was going to say 55. Oh, it's 52 million. Okay. 52 million to make the film so that's a really good guess I'm, I'm very impressed by that so. I think I'm kind of understanding the budget side a little bit better I feel like I'm because I was thinking I was like right from our previous episodes shameless plug <laughs> I was thinking well Sister Act was like 30 million uh, Cool Runnings 14 million and then trying to think about the cast um, and then just yeah. the production in general as well yeah on this one so yeah, okay. So, box office takings. What has it made? Well, not well, what did it take? Do you know, I was thinking this, obviously knowing you're going to ask this question, and thinking, whatever it made, I bet it would make a lot less today. Nothing to do with uh, the cast or the quality of the film or anything like that. But I think that the there's not as much of an audience anymore for this stuff. Like at the cinema, like at home, yes, on streaming and whatever. But to get people to go, take COVID out of it, if that wasn't a thing, to get people to go out to watch this in the cinema, I don't think the audiences have that patience anymore for like these slower films in the cinema. So I think, uh, do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying or you don't? What do you think? Yeah, it's something that we talked about on our Ravens podcast as well at Ravens podcast give us a give us a follow on Instagram and, shameless uh, plug <laughs> um, but we talked about the the culture of um, wanting things instantly yeah and having it in your hand so I, like we're, we even talked about it on our one of our previous episodes is that you can order something now and have it the same day yeah from like amazon or something like that not not like i'm not talking about food i'm talking about actual like product i did it today i ordered some cables this morning they should be at my house now and they'll be there waiting for you lovely cables (laughs) yeah but it's something that you need and it's something you can have straight away and that's how the world is changing they want you know people want something in their hand straight away Mm. and they've got it in their hand with you know with a mobile phone i can order anything i can watch anything i can you know and and that's kind of the culture of things now is that instant culture i need to have it now and i can have it now there's literally nothing stopping me other than potentially cost um which is kind of the world we live in now that's that's how um sort of developed this the world has become isn't it and Mm. how much it's changing Mm. a lot a lot of the world anyway not not all of it Sadly. So are you saying you also don't think audiences would have the patience to, you know, like, they'd rather just wait for it to come out because it's a bit of a slow burner? Yeah, I think if we found some some people now and said, okay, you've got a choice of watching this 
this film on Netflix, or just a film on Netflix, or we're going to go to cinema and watch Apollo 13, they'd pick the film on Netflix, potentially because it's a bit shorter and probably a bit more to their style and whatever. But Or if someone was like, you can watch the new Jurassic Park or Avengers or big action movie, you can watch... Uh, or like an uh, Apollo 13 sci-fi or like Arrival remember we were talking about Arrival the other day I think yeah. we talked about it off microphone amazing amazing movie really enjoyed that but movies like that the slower sci-fi it's like you can watch one in the cinema and one at home you're going to always choose the the action you one for the cinema experience and these other ones at home because you also can't trust an audience which is really sad but in a cinema with a movie like this where it's like there's a lot more sort of sincere moments of dialogue and emotion and whatever and then you got someone just grazing popcorn next to you you yeah. know uh which if they're doing that while you're watching avengers or jurassic park or something and there's lots of noise it's like i can deal with you know your animal eating noises but do, do you know what i mean it can be ruined i'll never forget this guy um in me and a friend went to watch the third dark knight movie which one was that dark knight rises Rises. yeah and there was a guy that was eating popcorn so obnoxiously like he was like five six rows in front but he would just eat louder at the quieter moments to and to like feet up on the chairs in front to the point that multiple people throughout the screening in very British fashion would just, shut up, <laughs> shut up, keep it down. And then, so that's one. And then another example, me and my friend, uh, our friend, Dave, hmm. we went to the cinema to see Pokemon, Detec- Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Right. This came out two years ago, something like that. Went to go watch it um, on like its opening weekend silly but we did right and we get in the cinema we've got our tickets but we get in a little bit late so every it's the whole thing sold out and we go up to the top of where we're sat where where the seats are and there's people sat in the seats so i'm like oh must have the wrong seats they must be you know on the other side go around to the other side there's people sat there as well I'm like, oh no okay no i was right the first time the people in our seats so go over. All nice. Oh, excuse me. You're uh, you're sat in our seats. Oh, well, can you just sit somewhere else then? Because we're sat here with our friends. But there's nowhere else to sit, uh. right? And I chose these seats because they're the ones like the top of the stairs in the aisle, so that I can put my legs out. Cause yeah, I'm reasonably tall, you know. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, now look, we paid for these seats. These these are like our seats. And he was like, well, I just spilt my drink in this chair. Okay. But, you know, I don't know where you're sitting. The film's about to start. These are the seats we've chosen, so please can you move? Okay, they get up and go. Um, but now we have to sit next to their friends. Right. <laughs> did, did they make it awkward? Or Yes, very. Uh, apart from, like, arm resting, uh, these are kind of, like, um, maybe slightly younger, just, you know, not teenagers, but... You know, uh, they were, I don't know, they felt aggressive in energy. I don't know. But anyway, the guy was like, um, <laughs> just then he, he'd brought in his own snacks, like in, in a bag. 
but so they weren't in like popcorn tubs so it was just like crisps and stuff and it was just rustling the whole thing eating so loud and there's like it was it was the worst the point that the whole way through me and dave were just sort of looking at each other and i was i'd like halfway through was like we can go down there i see seats we can get away you know and i was like you go i'll go you follow my lead i'll go first you come behind me <laughs> we'll go down and we were like almost like scared to move and as i was literally like an hour in we move and then it was like an exhale oh we're away we're away um and then we got in the car and as we were driving home we just burst out into laughter <laughs> of just like how ridiculous this whole situation was we went to see a pokemon movie to start with but this whole thing happened and it just was uh i like you can roll the dice and you can have a bad experience because you don't know who you're going to be sat next sat next to in a cinema i had a, a kind of it was like a great moment now in the cinema where I was sitting right in Inception had just come out. Great film. And I agreed. And I'd gone to see it and I'm sitting right at the front because there's nowhere else to see it. It's packed. The cinema screen is packed. Right at the front, over on the left-hand side, I'm having to look sort of diagonally at the screen the whole time. Crooked neck. I had neck pains afterwards. And anyway, it gets to the end of the film and you know, like the little spinner is just spinning. Yeah. It's wearing around and then it starts to wobble and it goes black. Yeah. It's just a dark screen. This lad that was sitting two seats away from me just went, your mum! <laughs> just so loud at the end of the film. What? He just he was so upset with the ending of the film that he just screamed, your mum! <laughs> he was just really unhappy with the film. What? And he thought that he could insult the film by just shouting, your mum. So uh, who who is even the mother of the film? The producer? <laughs> who like, knows? Who knows? But that was just his reaction. It was just so funny at the time that that took everything away from the film in terms of how good the film was and how like mental it was. And I just thought, that's fantastic. He just screamed, your mum, in a full <laughs> cinema at a screen. Oh, it was so funny, honestly. Did, was he, after he'd said it... Was he then like laughing, like as in he knew it was funny, or he was actually angry? No, he got up and left. He was very annoyed. <laughs> but it's the perfect ending because <laughs> you decide: was it a dream? Was it not a dream, or yeah. whatever? That's so funny. <laughs> just was not happy. Not happy at, at all. At least yours was. At least yours was funny and was just one snap moment. Like we were sat uncomfortable for like an hour, but. As we often say on our Ravens podcast, you go through experience, you learn, you progress, you move on. So our whole thing was, if we're ever uncomfortable again, we have paid for a seat. You just move, just move. Like it's just. So my wife and I went to see the new. After this, uh, went to see the new Jurassic Park, uh, like the most recent one, the second one. Jurassic World. World, sorry, yeah, um, and. Where we were sat, we were just sat next to a, a couple guys that were just, I don't really, it was just a vibe. They were just giving off a vibe that, like, she felt a bit uncomfortable. But the film hadn't even started yet, like, into trailers. And they were just being douchey. You can just, sometimes people get into a cinema and just turn into a douchebag. <laughs> Especially if they're with their friends. Even if they're older, they're trying to, like, I don't know, impress their friends. It's like... You're you're a grown person. Anyway, but we just moved seats. We were just like, let's just move somewhere else. Like, you know, we don't want... And we just moved to the other side of the cinema. 
away from their energy and you don't think about them again have it and had a good experience so sometimes you go through these uncomfortable moments to learn you know anyway sorry apollo 13 <laughs> that's okay it was good good to talk about cinema and our thoughts on it now oh i didn't even tell you what i thought the gross was oh yeah you actually didn't so i'm, I'm gonna say 200 million 207 million 207 million just to make it more precise wow. that's that's you know ac- not accurate 307 are you guessing again now, this is my first guess. You said 207. You I'm said saying 207. Three... No, I didn't. <laughs> Don't play your silly games. 307. This is an inception. Well, that's still wrong. It was $355.2 million. Oh, wow. That's a lot of money. At least I was in the right 100. Eventually. From the start. <laughs> that's 357. So for context, then, it made slightly less than uh saving private ryan yeah but in the same arena yeah definitely so steven won that round <laughs> well done steven yes you war epic he absolutely did win that round so um like you said before we've got really big cast in this film uh, and there's a lot of people in it so obviously we've got tom hanks kevin bacon bill paxton they will portray the astronauts so you've got J- uh, jim lovell um, Swaggart and Hayes, respectively. So they're the kind of like the main flight crew. Uh, we've got Gary Sinise. Um, it's my touch rabbit, you. <laughs> Ed Harris is in it. Um, Clint Howard. There's, honestly, this just the cast is massive. Ed Harris, met. You've met him. I met him. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I uh, saw him in Broadway on Broadway, in Broadway, on Broadway, uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And we've seen quite a few shows like on uh, in the West End and we've seen like a handful in Broadway. On, geez, on Broadway. And uh, this is the best show we've ever seen. We both decided this is the, the best live performance we have ever seen. It was outstanding. And wow. he was a big part of it. Have you seen To Kill a Mockingbird before? No. Oh, it's great. You'd, you'd really like it, I think. Um, it also had Nick Robinson, who's the older kid in Jurassic World. He was in it. We met him as well. Um, but then we'd, at the end, they just come out and sign like, autographs and whatever. There was quite like a, gr- a crowd of people around some railings, and Ed Harris was there. And he was so nice, like signing stuff. And there was this um, like girl sort of behind me. My wife was in front, so she'd already got the program signed and sort of said you know great show you're amazing whatever and she couldn't quite get in and her hand couldn't reach like he didn't see her hand um so i snatched it out of her hand and like leant over because my arm was longer to give it to him but she didn't know what was going on like there wasn't enough time for me to explain to be like oh no i'll get it for you don't worry so that you can you know so i so you can get it signed um so I think immediately she thought I just snatched it out of her hand so I could get it signed to steal it, to like steal the program. And I was, I gave it to her and then she was just like, oh my God, thank you so much. Like, whatever, whatever. But <laughs> it's just one of those moments. But I thought this was an act of kindness. But it was also risky because she might have thought I was mugging her. <laughs> Don't mug your own wife. No, it wasn't my wife. This is a random person. Oh, it was a random I thought you said it was... No, my wife. wife got hers signed. This was just uh, someone stood here, but he missed her. 
he didn't go because her arm didn't stretch so i just snatched it out and leant over don't mug other people well i wasn't i was being nice (laughs) that was was... a very nice random act of kindness yes very nice he had this line in to kill a mockingbird where he was like he's talking to a racist person and he's like i speak down to you because that is where you are located it's like yes about because it's like american broadway people in the audience were like yes really into it it was great nice yeah great moment he's he's a great actor great guy good old ed (laughs) okay so we'll go back a little bit and talk about we'll talk about jim lovell so obviously jim lovell it's his story and the, he had he basically wrote a little bit about when he uh, he found out Tom H- Hanks was playing the part um so um when before Lost Moon was even um like written and published movie rights were being shopped by potential buyers um we've had that happen before what film was it what Pete different it was Jurassic Park 2 wasn't it it was the lost world before it was even written, people were saying to Michael Crichton, well, we want the rights to it and stuff like that. And the first one. Yeah. I think, yeah, like, yeah. even, yeah. Um, And Jim Lovell's first reaction to it was that Kevin Costner would play him and would be a good choice to play him because they look the same. They look really similar. <laughs> okay. Um, So if you look up, like, a young Jim Lovell, he looks fairly similar to Kevin Costner. They had some similarities. But uh, by the time... Um, Ron Howard acquired the director's position for the film. Costner's name never came up again. Um, and Tom Hanks was kind of already given the role. As soon as it basically Ron Howard got in charge, it was like given to Tom Hanks. Um, and Hanks's representatives informed him that the script kind of was being passed around to other people as well. And John Travolta was offered the part of Jim Lovell. Wow. But turned it down. Wow. Yeah, she would... said no. This is after Pulp Fiction, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah Pulp Fiction is 1994. Yeah, because that 90s. was his resurgence, wasn't it? Five. John Travolta's resurgence from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That would have been interesting. I really liked John Travolta, especially in the 90s. Um, so I would have liked to have seen it, but uh, I think Tom Hanks is probably the obvious choice. Uh, I think so, yeah. Definitely, it was a good choice as well. Uh, Tom Hanks is a massive like Apollo missions geek as well. So you know, he talks about him loving typewriters. He loves yeah. like all the Apollo space missions as well, and knows so much about them. So it was kind of perfect for the role because he already knew a lot of the content. Yeah, like he might not know all the necessarily all like the technical stuff that he had to learn, but he knew a lot about the yeah, what was he going was into it. Yeah. And you know what you said about Jim Carrey having to go through like military school and training. All of the cast went through some sort of space like training. training. So the guys that were astronauts went through astronaut training. The guys that were tech crew went through the training for the tech crew. But they all went and did like physics lessons and stuff like that to mm. really try and get their head around it. So that when they're talking through certain bits of the script and they're trying to work things out. They actually understand what they're talking about, which I thought was pretty cool. I thought that would be great. I'd love yeah. to do something like that. Yeah. If I was part of a big film like that, that'd be good fun. Um, like we said, Clint Howard is in it as well. He plays one of the, the technicians. There's a line that he throws in about the IRS. 
Yeah. You hear that line? Yeah, Do you remember yeah. it? Back says, to oh, Kevin yeah. Bacon. Yeah, that's right. He goes, oh, yeah, they'll really get you. Yeah. And that's he actually threw that in himself. That wasn't a scripted line. Um, he threw that in because he was having loads of money problems, and particularly with the IRS. <laughs> right. So he threw it in, and Ron Howard kept it in. Nice. And decided that it was good enough to keep him. Um, there's other members of the Howard family in the film. Who else is in there? So we have Rance Howard, which is his father. Care to take a guess as to who Ron Howard's father is playing in this film? Um... Hmm. Uh, like one of the old people at like the old people's home or something. It's not a bad guess. I will tell you, his mum was one of the old people in the people's home. Okay. His mum actually played Jim Lovell's mum. Ah, she um, was good. She didn't know who. Uh, lo- um, Neil Armstrong. Yeah, not and Lance Buzz, Armstrong. And Buzz. <laughs> Buzz uh, like you. <laughs> Leave me alone, Dom. <laughs> Such a bully. Sorry. So he actually played um, the minister that was in the house. You know, they had like a priest in the house. Oh, yeah. When they were waiting for them to come back. Yep. That was Ron Howard's dad. Oh. Uh, that's fairly interesting. So uh, Jean, uh, I think it's Jean Spiegel Howard, who's the mother, um, also played Lovell's mother, Blanche. Um, his wife, Cheryl, and his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, appear as uncredited background performers. You know, when the astronauts are being waved goodbye and stuff, they're both in in the crowd. Bryce Dallas Howard is his is his daughter. Yes. No way. I didn't know that. Yes way. That's crazy. She, I, she's, she's the one from Black Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. In Jurassic World. Crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so they're kind of like close family group in the film, which is quite nice. Uh, Brad Pitt was also offered a role in the film, but turned it down to star in Seven instead. What's in the box? What a choice. What's in the box? Oh, you've never seen Seven. Not all the way. We have to cover Seven at some point. <laughs> okay, so we haven't covered a synopsis of the film yet. So we've talked a, a bit about the budgets and some guesses and played a little game there. Um, so I'll do a quick synopsis of the film, which I found on IMDb, and then I'll go into some more of the trivia, and then we can kind of talk about what we feel about it and our judgments. Is that cool? Please. Happy? Yeah. Good stuff. So here's the synopsis. Based on the true story of the ill-fated 13th Apollo mission bound for the moon, astronauts Lovell, Hayes, and Swaggart were scheduled to fly Apollo 14, but were moved up to 13. It's 1970, and the US had already achieved their lunar landing goal, so there's little interest in this routine flight. Until that is, things go very wrong, and the prospects of a safe return fade. There we go. That's it. And that was written by uh, Rob Hartill. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. That was a very good synopsis. So let's go into some of the trivia. I love the trivia bit. It's always fun for me. (laughs) So... In some scenes where Earth can be seen from the windows of Apollo 13, um, those are real pictures taken by Jim Lovell um, when he was on the Apollo 8 mission. So he'd already been in space on a previous mission, and those were his actual images mm. that he'd taken, so the real Jim Lovell, which is great. So did you know that Jim Lovell was in the film, the real Jim Lovell? No. Would you have to hazard a guess as to who Jim Lovell was in the film? Um... I don't think you can ever get it. You can try. I don't know. The, the 
one of someone in the house at the, when they're watching the on the TV. Unfortunately, not. So Jim Lovell was in fact in it right at the end. So you know when they come back down to earth, yeah, and they're be- and they're being rescued by the navy. Yep, he is the captain that welcomes them onto the ship. So as they step off the helicopter, yeah, yeah that's the real Jim Lovell. Nice. And uh, Ron Howard said to him, uh, you know, really like it if you're in the film and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the part that you're going to play, you're going to welcome these people back onto the ship. So would you like to be the admiral of the ship? And he said, I retired as a captain, so I think it's only fitting that I'm a captain of the ship. And he's um, Ron Howard is like, okay, great. And he wore his own uniform and stuff. Like he had his Navy uniform and he wore that. And he welcomes, he Jim Lovell shakes Jim Lovell's hand. That's cool. It was just quite a cool moment. Yeah, that's nice. Um, when the real Jim Lovell saw the film, he found the CGI work was so convincing that he firmly believed that the filmmakers had uncovered some sort of unseen NASA footage. Mm. Really thought it was real. Um, the famous understatement was actually made twice by the astronauts. So this is relating to the Houston, we have a problem line. So Jack Swagger. Uh, actually says okay Houston we have a problem here and then mission control say this is Houston say again please and then Jim Lovell says uh, Houston we've had a problem so on the recording Swagger is garbled at the beginning so this is the real recording of it as well wait, wait, hang on. so in real life the Houston we have a problem was this known as like a line bef- before the movie was made yeah so this is kind of what I'm getting to so swagger had actually said we've had a problem here first they didn't quite understand it or hear it and in the original recordings you can't hear it properly it's a bit garbled so then lovell immediately says ah houston we've had a problem um and then we when we get to the filming of it um ron howard chose houston we have a problem yeah to make it a little bit more dramatic so that's kind of what they went with but was it before the before Apollo thirteen the movie existed? Was that like a known thing like that? Was that line to NASA? It was famous, yeah. right? But not outside. The movie is what made that. The movie has made it even more famous. Because yeah. Things like I know it's very different, but you know one one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind is in the atmosphere pun intended of uh you know just in everyone knows that line right yeah. um the, the, it's probably been used in films and whatever i just didn't know if that was something that was famous that went along with that almost tragedy yeah it's kind of it's an iconic line but i think it's iconic because of the film the movie made it iconic yeah yeah okay. uh, um uh, something i watched years ago about the uh, one small step for man one giant leap for mankind is that apparently Neil Armstrong said it's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And what did it just cut out the it, A? It, it, the A never translated across. So there's a slight, you know, when we look at, you know, when you're looking back at the podcast and editing and you've got all the yeah. flicks and waves and stuff, there's a slight flick where he says A, but it never played through. Mm. It didn't come through. So it's always been displayed as one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Huh? It was one small step for a man. Oh, yeah, rolls better as just man. Yeah. yeah. But do you think they must have decided 
before they even left Earth, who was going to be the first person to step on the moon, right? Yeah, they always do. To step on the moon. Yeah, so they always they knew before they went that it would be Neil Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what? Because he was higher ranking. Yeah, he was the like flight commander of the mission, the mission commander. Yeah. And then Buzz was going into the lunar excursion module with him, and would always be the second man on the moon. Mm. This the second famous guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the. Quite shamefully, can't remember the name of the guy who was still in the capsule that had to like orbit the moon. Mm. While they were on the surface of the moon, that didn't go get to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's still never been a woman on the moon, not to my knowledge. It's crazy. Yeah. Though I guess, um, what would we need to go to the moon for now, anyway? Right. Mars is the next big target, isn't it? Right. Have you seen it away on Netflix? No, that's quite good. Is it's that a documentary watch. or a movie? No, it's it's a. It's got Hilary Swank in it. Okay. It's a it's a program. It's basically a series of Apollo thirteen going to the moon. Okay. But not as tragic. Uh, well, it's not even that tragic. You you'll know what I mean if you watch the kind of trailer for it. You'll yeah. get what I'm talking about. Okay. So this is quite a funny one. So when they did the first test preview for the film, um, they had people write feedback down on little cards and someone had written back total disdain uh typical hollywood uh the the ending was shocking the crew never would have survived (laughs) which is brilliant it's obviously someone that didn't know what the hell they were talking about yeah Uh, bill paxton tom hanks and kevin bacon were all super proud of themselves that they weren't sick on the so-called vomit comet which is the aircraft they used to get them to a certain altitude and then it like drops but they can only zero gravity yeah and he does it for 23 seconds at a time wow imagine filming a two-hour film where you can only do that for 23 seconds at a time that's crazy so it would drop so that they'd feel zero zero g film a bit and then they'd obviously have to level off fly around and then do it again um and they were the only ones that weren't sick the camera crew however were all (laughs) like very sick whilst filming (laughs) that's crazy and even to as a camera operator to then they must have been like buckled into the side or something so that they weren't floating around, right? I think they're all like velcroed in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. But it's actually a NASA aircraft, so NASA um, used the aircraft to check to train astronauts in zero g, but had decommissioned the plane like the year before they started filming. Um, but they gave them permission to use it, so they started using it again just to film this film. Wow, which is pretty cool. Um, you know the bit where Marilyn Lovell loses her ring down the drain? Mm-hmm. She actually did lose her ring down the drain the, mm-hmm. like, the night before they were due to, to fly. Mm-hmm. And she panicked, but she did eventually find it. It was found again. So she doesn't find it in the film, but she did in real life. Uh, there's a line in the film that where Jim Lovell says, Gentlemen, what are your intentions? Mine are to go home. Do you remember this bit? Mm-hmm. When, they're, uh, when they're still questioning whether they could land on the moon. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, they they just sort of they just find out that, that it's not going to happen for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're they've just come out of the dark side of the moon and they're heading back towards Earth, basically using the the gravitational pull, like slingshotting them back around, isn't it? Um, so while Lovell actually said that, um, it seems slightly forced and out 
out of place because this is because um, when he said it on the mission, they were just coming out from the far side of the moon and had a critical engine burn coming up. So since it was Jack Swaggart and Fred Hayes' first mission, they were all taking pictures of Earth and of the moon and weren't necessarily thinking about what was coming ahead. So he had to kind of bring them back to reality and say, gentlemen, what your attention is, my intention is to go home. You need to stop taking pictures. <laughs> kind of, can mm. you just get back in the room with me for a minute? This isn't an excursion. We, we've got to do something very seriously that either get us back home or we'll die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like crazy, but very scary. And I think for the most of it, that is pretty much all my trivia. I've got some other bits, but I'm sure they can they'll come up as we discuss a little bit more. Nice. Very good deep dives. <laughs> good facts. Oh, I have one more about Gary Sinise. So after Tom Hanks was cast, so Tom Hanks was um cast as Jim Lovell straight away. They basically went to Gary Sinise and said, here's all the characters, who do you want to be? And gave him the choice. Wow. And he said, I want to be Ken Mattingly because without Ken Mattingly, they don't get home. Yeah, well, that's... So would, could he have... Who was he true? He could have been Ed Harris's character. He could have been anyone he wanted to be. They Just... literally said to him, who do you want to be? Wow. And he picked Ken Mattingly. Yeah, well, that's a good choice because, yeah, his... He's an MVP, really, isn't he? Yeah. Ed Harris's character in it is, re- is really good. Gene Kranz. Yeah. I think it's Kranz. Let me look quickly. It's also, it's interesting, because it's very similar to Billy Bob Hornet's character in Armageddon. Uh, who is, does he also play some old Gene? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the guy, though. He In Armageddon, he couldn't go. He yeah. has, a, like, a, a bad leg or something, doesn't he? So he's in mission control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, all stuff. and then they get, they give him the badge at the end, don't they? So Ed Harris says failure is not an option, doesn't he, in the film? Um, and Gene Kranz wrote his autobiography after the film had come out and used that as his title, mm. but had never said it. Oh, nice. <laughs> so Ed Harris uh, delivering that line made him go, yeah, I like that. And he, and he took it as the title for his book. He's a good character. He's also uh, an MVP type character, wasn't he? Yeah, definitely. And Harris's character, yeah. So that's kind of the the majority of the deep dive, and that's to talk about any sort of character journeys that we want to talk about. So, where would you like to go from here? Should we discuss the the crew? Yeah. So we have our crew. We have. Um, it's originally supposed to be. Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Ken Mattingly. That Ken Mattingly's told that he's potentially going to have the measles because someone else he's come into contact with has, has got it, and he's convinced he hasn't got it. But he can't go into space and have the measles, regardless of the other astronauts having it, because there's no one up there that can look after you. Yeah, and it can kill you. Yeah. So he's told he can't go. Now there's a bit in there where. Jim is trying to like fight for him a little bit with all the people in charge of NASA and all the bosses and stuff. And then it comes down to it and says, no, you absolutely can't go. You're going to have um, Jack Swaggart, played by Kevin Bacon, going up with you instead. And then when he's telling Ken Mattingly that he can't go, because Jim Lovell says, I'm going to do it, I'll tell him. He says, it was my decision. I've decided you can't go. Which I thought was quite a brave thing to do. Mm. must have been really difficult to know that it wasn't your decision but you have to sit there and say to him 
I've made this choice. It's me that said no because you're going to put us all at risk. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it did feel like that. And it felt... Uh, I thought that... So I couldn't really remember much of this film except for the bit I said at the beginning of them trying to figure out the bit, the apparatus they had to try and figure out a way home. So I didn't remember parts like this. Uh, I remember thinking when watching this now, I thought this was going to be a greater source of contention and that there was going to be real heated arguments over this, but it wasn't. He kind of accepted it. And it was, I think, the right thing to do because he was also um, leading the others as well, like Bill Paxman, etc., of like you know this is we've got to move forward now as a team and you know throughout the film there's um tension between kevin bacon's character and bill paxman's character um and some of it is kind of it's partly from this a little bit isn't it that he's sort of taken his place there's a bit of animosity there yeah there's definite tension isn't there and they have because jim lovell's whole point is that we know each other's thoughts we know the next step you know we're going to make and we can basically finish finish each other's sentences you know and we don't even actually have to verbally communicate we just know what each other's going to do all three of us we know how to tick and you're going to throw someone like random three days before we're due to go into space into that mix when we haven't really trained together um and then when they're in simulators and stuff together, it doesn't go right and it just feels very uncomfortable, doesn't it? And there is that weird tension between them. And I know we've talked about, I didn't read anything about it or see anything, but there's directorial decisions to keep actors separate so that when they're eventually together, there is that animosity. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they ever did that in, in this film. Mm. That's what Spielberg did in Saving Private Ryan, didn't he? So maybe Ron would, maybe he was stealing out of the Spielberg playbook. But... I would have been first. Right, <laughs> right. Maybe Stephen was stealing out Ron's plate. Yeah, no, was... tips from Tom. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's... Yeah, no, that it was. I I wasn't sure then how Gary Sinise's character was going to come back into the story, uh, and then in the third act when he comes back in as you know helping and in the simulator, I thought it was really good. Like it was. So did, did that happen in real life? Uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. So that's, yeah. Well, then the story, you know, in real life, in the third act, it's, um, yeah, it's good. It's, uh, it's a good way for him to come back in and, and help save the day, really. And he says he's not going to leave the simulator and he does. He wants all the same conditions. And They don't get a break, I don't get a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like those moments. I, do you know the... The only I enjoyed the film, I really did. The pacing was a little bit slow, like at the beginning, I thought a little bit slow. Like, so my wife came in at one point and was like, They're still not in space. (laughs) 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 Funny enough, when they get into space, like the, the issue happens quite quickly, yeah. So it happens quite soon after they've once capsules have started coming loose and falling away and stuff like that yeah then the like whatever it is that explodes the oxygen tank or whatever that causes the problem happens fairly soon but Mm. it does take ages to get into space it's like when we talked about it on jurassic park it takes ages to see the first dinosaur nearly an hour 
Yeah. And it's the same with this. It's before anything actually happens. Yeah. It's a lot of talking and talking of, and the, of all the red tape and the bureaucracy of it all. And actually, um, these Apollo missions cost so much money. Is it worth going? Is it worth doing it? And there's all these questions that get thrown out, isn't it? And you see a lot of the reports on TV saying this costs it so much money and we're sending all these boys to, to fight wars and stuff. So, you know, why aren't we investing that money and using that money to for our own country and for our own people and for funding this, that and the other? Why are we sending someone to space? What's the point? It's quite poignant, I thought. Mm. But also very long. Yeah, yeah. Now, those bits are all, all important, I guess, it's. Uh, I mean, even at the beginning, they don't even want to film their press conference or whatever of them or of them going into space. It's only when it goes wrong that the media want to cover it. And um, Tom Hanks's wife in the movie is saying, you know, tell them to stay off my lawn and all of that stuff. I thought I thought all of that stuff was really good. It's it's a good film, and it's like it's one that it it definitely doesn't need to be remade. I doubt it would anyway, um, just because the original, it's really good. It's a good film, but it's just not one that I would reach to watch over and over again. Like, I can't eat, I would, it would, if it was on TV, I would skip past it, I think. Like, as in, it's just like, yeah, it's good, but I don't need to see it again. Like, like Shinder's List, very different. But that's a film that's like, that's an amazing film, but I never need to see that again. Oh, wow. Because it's a lot. Oh, like, yeah. it's hard. Like, and I, I thought I would think that way about Saving Private Ryan as well, but I watched it like three times within two weeks uh, when we covered it for the podcast. Um, I, wa- I watched it twice because I wanted to, <laughs> I was concerned that you were going to know so much about it that I was going to be out of my depth. And then I watched it again with my wife because I wanted to. So I thought, this is actually a really good film. Um, I don't know. It just... Yeah. Let's talk about Bill Paxman. I love him. Rest in peace. Um, Paxton. Paxton. Yeah. There's a T in there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? When Kakala. No. Keep that in. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was Paxman. But Paxton. The T. Mm. Okay, well, love him. Aliens. Aliens. Dad's favourite film. My dad's favourite film. Twister. Twister, Vertical Limit. He's the douchebag in Vertical Limit. The, who I like, though. But he is the antagonist. In, in Aliens, he's great. Yeah. He's uh, Hudson, isn't he? Yeah. And he's like, Hudson, oh man, I hate him, man. <laughs> he's just kind of like, everything. everything's against me, man. That kind of guy. His voice I love it. <laughs> uh, he could. I love him to read me stories. Like his, yeah. Um, and Twister, there was the ride at Universal Studios, and I love it. And he's like, he did like a video for it. He's like the guide, and he's like, when we made it's the ride is, they put you in the simulators of what they made for the set. Oh, wow. And like things move apart and blow around and whatever. And he's sort of being like, you know, when we did this bit of the scene, we did this, that, and the other. I know he just seemed like a really cool, really cool guy and a really good actor. So, uh, yeah, I thought he was really good in this. And he played that tension with Kevin Bacon really well and played, you know, being, getting sick basically. And uh, <laughs> he blames 
Kevin Bacon's character for giving him the clap. Yeah. <laughs> using his hose <laughs> to go to the toilet. Yeah. Which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. I couldn't I didn't understand if he was being serious at that point. Did he actually have like when he, he actually did burn when he peed? It, it hurt when he peed, yeah. So but he was so ill. Right. That it, it could just have been he was just Ill. It's probably like kidneys shutting down or something like that. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I thought he was great. I mean, what what did you think of him? Yeah, I, again, he's he's great in in most of the stuff he does and he he talks about being from like a small town doesn't he and he says I, I couldn't ever imagine me you know if I go back home and I tell the guys from back home what I do now they can't it's kind of nobody really believes it because I'm going into space who would, mm. who would have ever thought that and he kind of portrays that really well doesn't he just kind of he's either like that farm town kind of kid that has just done really well and just excelled yeah and he's super smart and he's just made it really really far but doesn't over egg it and he's quite funny as well quite a funny character yeah and changing the music as well and like spinning the, the glasses around and just kind of showing off to his kids while he's in space and yeah just trying to he's the sort of character that tries to make it fun but very well acted and that was a sad moment that they thought they were on tv but they weren't on tv well what did you think of uh kevin bacon's character and Kevin Bacon in the movie. Funny enough, I so, you sort of go through the same emotional state as the other characters because you you spend so long with Jim Lovell, um, and like Tom Hanks's character, just for ages. You're you're with him pretty much the entire time that the film is going, and you think, oh, you want him and his crew to go up, not just like random. Mm-hmm. So why is this guy going up as well? He he shouldn't go. So I kind of like immediately feel that animosity against him. And it, like quite strangely, in A Few Good Men, I feel the same against him. But when they're in the bars and stuff like that, and he's talking to Tom Cruise's character, you kind of think, oh, he's all right, really. But when they're in the courtroom, you think, oh, this guy's a dick. He just needs to go away. Yeah, he's uh, just doing his job, isn't he? But <laughs> yeah. I guess in all of them, he's just doing his job. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But you just kind of, he, he it must be the sign of a good actor because I just immediately start to feel that against him mm. even though there's nothing wrong with him at all and he's pivotal like for them like in he's got the good maths right he does <laughs> and all of that stuff um he says he's gonna hold his breath doesn't he yeah then he works out the oxygen for two people or whatever yeah yeah he's he's really good um what do we think of ed harris's character and ed harris just ed harris in general he's great have you ever seen abyss Yes. That's a good film. My dad likes that one too. He is a good film. He's in that. And he's the director in Truman Show. He is. Or yeah. Like, is that director? Yeah, it's the director. Yeah. That was his character would be. Such a good film. Does he wear a beret in that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't ever imagine Ed Harris in a beret. But he wears he, one. He pulls it off. Yeah. Truman Show is a good one. That's one we'll have to do. Yeah. That's 90s. Yeah. Maybe 99, maybe. Yeah. But we can get away with that. That yeah, that's <laughs> in the night. The Truman Show is a movie that's like larger than life in terms of it gets referenced in the same sort of way that The Matrix gets referenced. Like it's like a term in itself. Like people will be like, oh, it's you know, it's your own Truman Show. Everyone's Truman Show. Like it's a term, or you know, oh, it's just we're all in the Matrix. We have to unplug from the Matrix. Like as in the the movie title is um synonymous with describing reality right 
Yes. <laughs> well, well put. You weren't expecting me to say that, were you? That was better than whatever words I was searching for. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I uh, I I think the cast in this film is quality. Really, mm. really well picked. Really good. Ed Harris um, playing Gene Kranz in in the control room is fantastic, and so like loads of other people have done it. So um, there's a film called First Man with Ryan Gosling playing yeah. Neil Armstrong and you know the Gene Kranz is in that as well oh, right, right. Um, so th- this is a person who's worked for NASA for a long time and has, has done that job for a long time so he's portrayed by several different people but if you were to say to me kind of think of someone that's played him it would automatically be Ed Harris right if that makes sense yeah, yeah he's yeah. kind of like the go-to thought behind that when I liked, he had so many good moments of, um, so it, he, he reminded me that of what good management can look like, I think, in terms of when he's at the chalkboard and he's just sort of like saying, this is the information we have, we need, you know, to get from here to here. And, but we need to, these are the, this is the dotted line that we don't know how to make that happen. Like the right amount of power or whatever to, to get to there um and it's just i don't have the answers you find the answers like like it's like managers don't have to managers have to get the answers out of other people do you know what i mean it's not like you don't have to i'm not sort of articulating this right but i mean that you don't it's it was good. Do you know? Do, do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, he he's got to put the team together and and get the team thinking um, constructively and uh, positively about getting these astronauts home. And his job is to say, "You're the experts. I need you to get these guys from A to B safely. Make it work. Yeah. Come back to me with whatever you've got." They come back to him, and he goes, "Okay." So we've now got A to B. We need to land it properly. You lot, you need to go and figure that out. Yeah. Okay, so now this this is the next problem. You lot need to go and work it out. And he, he kind of chucks them all together and says, this is the issue, go and fix it. Or come back to me with, with the plan. He's focused on the end goal and yeah. the overall goal. And it's not his job to get the details that go in between. Yeah. It's like their job. But he's orchestrating them to get to the over the overall picture of what needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that's really good. Like it was, it was shown in a good way that that's probably how that would actually be in someone in that position. Is that they don't have all of the detail for every single stage. They just know what the what the final image looks like. Uh, and I thought that was really good. And then his moment where he he cries at the end, or you know has a tear at the end. Do you think it got me, Dom? Do you think a tear rolled in this movie? I can't see it being emotional enough for you. Oh, really? Like, oh, heart-wrenching enough to have made you cry at any point. There wasn't any point in this film where I thought that that would get Simon, that would catch him out there. He'd be shedding a tear. I I came incredibly close. I, it didn't It didn't quite happen, but it was just that bit at the end where it's like, they're all cheering in the control room and, it was like, and and he's sort of having his moment that he saved their lives um, and, you know, and got them home and to their families and 
and but also it wasn't only just that it was that there was this collaborative effort of however many like a hundred people or whatever and they all like it it felt like no one went home no one did anything but this is all we're doing we got to get these people home and i think it's all of that put into it as well so um yeah but at the end of armageddon i i'm bawling my eyes out <laughs> because he didn't come home dom he didn't bruce was still up there <laughs> in, in a thousand pieces many yeah. yes <laughs> uh okay do you know who I, there was a character in there that i thought if dom was in this movie that's who he would be oh god was it was it a janitor no <laughs> i was like if there's someone in it not because of how they look or anything like that just in how they were and the sort of part they played would you like to guess who that was i have absolutely no idea it was the guy that he had, had the short sleeve white shirt on that was doing when he they put he put all the stuff on the table and was like right these are all the pieces how are we going to get this to happen you know and they're putting all the stuff together and then he goes and he's in the film quite a lot after that yeah um he was just pivotal very calm very helpful got the job done understated but crucial you rip the bag don't rip the other one yeah <laughs> you've only got two up there <laughs> don't rip the second one yeah yeah so yeah that was, that oh, was you cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It was basically a square peg in a round hole, wasn't it? Square peg in a round hole. That's what they had to make using all the equipment that they had up there with them. Crazy. Crazy. What what gets me every time in terms of thinking about it is that it was real. Mm. So I'll watch it as a Hollywood blockbuster, a film that made $355 million, and I will sit there and watch it as a film. And then it's kind of not really until the end where I go... Wow, that was that actually happened. Mm-hmm. This this is real. It's insane. Um, and what's really interesting about the film is that they didn't use any original footage at all mm-hmm. in the entire film. Ron Howard wanted everything to be made by them, even though they used a lot of um, um, so a lot of what was said in real life by Control and Apollo Thirteen was like transcripted and then used in the scripts for the film. So no original recordings or footage is put into the film, but a lot of the content from real life is in the film. Mm. So things that were actually said between Flight and um, Apollo 13 were actually used, and they they mention it. I thought that was really good. So it's quite scary to sit there and think, God, that was real. And much to like what you said with films like Schindler's List and stuff like that, it's so harrowing and difficult to watch um, because you know it's real. And this actually happened, um, which kind of makes it worse in a little way. I, I mean, this is a massive success story. Mm. So it's kind of, it, you know, and he says at the end, it's called the successful failure. Mm. Because although it didn't go to plan, they made it back home and they had to improvise and think on their feet. And it, they've probably written a, about a thousand processes on, the, on space travel on the back of that and contingencies because of exactly what happened to Apollo 13 it's, it's how they learn isn't it it's how we all learn it's trial and error unfortunately so we, we can go as prepared as we think we could possibly be and then something else gets thrown in the mix that 
we wouldn't have ever thought about and then it becomes a process from there exactly what's going on in the world today mm. no one could have ever gone well, there's going to be a global pandemic i need to you know have that in the back of my mind in case this all happens um and then it happens and it's like okay this is what we need to put in place as a result of this and that'll mm. probably carry on forward forever now wouldn't it yeah 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 it's uh it's it's a good film it does help that it's got a happy ending um Colt from the original Three Ninjas is in it. He only had like one line. One line. And he's at military school or whatever. Is that when he's got the baseball bat? And he's like, I'm on holiday, Dad. It's It tells him he's going to get a haircut or something like that. Yeah, it's right near the beginning. Yeah, and he says, I'm on holiday. I'm on vacation. Yeah. I was like, I, I counted. I was like, oh, he, had, I, he said that. And I was like, oh, he's going to be in it loads. And then he wasn't in again. And all the other times he was in it, I was like, is he going to speak? Doesn't speak. Just silence. Silent the whole time. Slim Max. Elliot Slade. Elliot Slade, that's it. Yeah. So I was like, right. Because the reason why, you'll, you'll see later when we get to our judgments. I was like, if he's had more than one line, oh. it doesn't count. Oh, I know what he's going to be then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Would well, you have any... Any final thoughts on Apollo 13 before we get to our judgments? Was there anything in particular, any scene or anything like that that stood out to you and you thought, actually, that that kind of means a lot as, you know, I could kind of take that away or I understand that feeling or that's made me feel like that or... I don't... This is difficult. We... Uh... This, we, we've, this must be like the 22nd or 23rd movie that we've covered. Um... And while there are some that we've covered that don't really mean much to me, there, there's a lot that have nostalgic value and things. This is kind of an odd one for me. This do, really doesn't mean much to me. And I kind of felt it watching it. It's kind of like this, yeah, this is a good film. I get it. I see how it's good. I see why people like it. But it's not that special to me, like as in to me personally. Um, so I mean, yeah, I liked the bit of the control room where they got it done, but I think everyone liked that bit because it's the happy moment, but there's nothing really in particular that I would take away from it and be like, oh yeah, I really don't. Like if someone, I wouldn't recommend it to someone, like as in, I would say if someone said, have you seen any good films lately? I'd be like, yeah, I saw Apollo 13. Have you seen it? No, oh yeah, it's worth a watch. I wouldn't be like, oh, you have to watch this. It's amazing. This is game changer. It probably felt like that in the mid nineties, maybe. So maybe that's like a twenty-five year on type thing. I mean, come on, tell me the opposite. Like to balance this out. I I would always say that this is a really good film, and if someone wants to l- learn about space flight from the 1970s then yeah go and watch this film because it's fairly accurate but i'm probably quite similar i mean it does have nostalgic value to me because i love this film growing up i still love the film now but i wouldn't say to someone you definitely have to watch it i'd say yeah go and watch it like i would say always say to people watch saving private ryan yeah it's a great film fantastic film and there's so much in that and um again like the scene at the beginning on Omaha Beach, it's real, it really happened, and obviously all of Apollo 13 is real, but um, there's just, 
it just feels like there's so much more connection to um, a film like Saving Private Ryan. I, I can't really pinpoint why. Maybe because I know I will never go to space. Right. But, <laughs> but you might you know, go to war. But I could go to war. You never know. Um, about war in space. Oh, God. <laughs> I could be Tom Hanks twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would never... If someone is interested in films about space and stuff like that, I'd, I'd always recommend it. But if I was recommending it as a film in general, I, I probably wouldn't pick it. Um, films like First Man, I would say, is a good film to kind of find out about um, Neil Armstrong's kind of journey into becoming the first man on the moon. But again, it's not one I would say definitely go and watch it. Again, it's quite a long film. It's quite you know the similar vein to Apollo 13 they go through the the downfalls of um the cost of it all and and the family tragedies and the issues that they had uh, on prior Apollo missions to then how they actually ended up getting onto the moon so um if you're willing to watch it watch it I wouldn't ever force it upon anyone yeah that's fair i think i think also we're a bit spoiled with space movies and sci-fi probably ruins it a little bit like imagine there was no star wars or aliens movies or star trek or anything that's fantasy that's in space and then you got apollo 13 it's like wow okay we're in space and it's the nuance like it's almost like yeah it's a true story so it's crazy but in in cinematic world it's like well we see space all the time like there's no the novelty of it is not there, you know. Where if you saw the documentary of it, you know, it's like oh crazy because it's real. So I guess it, like it has that going for it, but I think we as an audience we're probably a bit spoiled mm. with space. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but I I, I don't want to sound negative because I mean I said I reckon that IMDb would give it like an eight point two um and that's what i genuinely would think it would and i usually think indb's ratings are pretty accurate so i mean i would well we'll get to that okay so should we move on to judgments yeah let's move on okay so who was your favorite performer of the movie tom hanks of course (laughs) your number one guy uh it's close between him and ed harris oh yeah ed harris is good but I think there's so many different moments of um, Ed Harris is pretty consistent the entire way through, um, and it's only really at the end that he shows sort of any emotion other than passion to get these people home. He's just it's just pure relief and delight that they are home at the end. But with Tom Hanks, it's I'm really excited about going to the moon. You know, you know when he says um, to Marilyn can we move our Easter plans of going to, I can't remember where they were going to go, like the Bahamas or whatever. Can we move that to wherever? Cause I'm going to the moon. Yeah. He actually did say that. Okay. Um, Real life. But he said that in his, on his previous mission, um, when he was on Apollo eight. So his, they were the first ones to go round the moon and then back. Yeah. And that was his comment to her then, but they, they thought they'd just throw it in, you know? Yeah. Um, so he's just like pure elation that he's going and then he's gutted when she says she's not going to come to the launch mm. um, because he's like, well, kids have been around for a while and I've been to space a couple of times. So 
why wouldn't you come this you know now it doesn't make sense to me and because she, she's so paranoid about it being 13 and unlucky mm-hmm. and all these things start happening that are quite unlucky like the car breaks down and stuff like that and he sort of tries not to react to it but you can see it's in his mind and it's really playing on her mind um to when eventually they get to go and it's just like they're super excited they get into space the problems happen um and he kicks off at them and he swears at them a little bit apparently jim lovell never swears and never swore Mm. didn't swear so that was a little bit you know of creative license shall we say (laughs) so it's just all these like emotions up and down that he goes through and i think he just does really well if you look at someone like kevin bacon he seems to play play the same pretty way much all the way through doesn't ever really change does he Mm, true um so yeah that's my thoughts on it who's yours i i can see i can see all of those i'm gonna say bill paxton I really liked his performance in it. I thought he played... The the tension between him and Kevin Bacon felt like palpable. Um, I just really like his voice and delivery on things. <laughs> I, he He's someone that when I see him in a film, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, excellent. Like, it just... It already makes the film a bit better for me. Um, so, yeah, I'll say him. Who is your favourite character? My favorite character is probably ken mattingly so gary sinise's character oh yeah that's a he, good choice. he kind of does put it all together at the end doesn't it? i mean you've got a lot of engineers and you've got a lot of scientists and you've got a lot of people putting all these things together but really he's the one in that condition trying to make it work trying yeah. to come up with a process and a program to get them back safely home and he just works his ass off and yeah, I liked him as a character. Yeah, he was good. I will double up. You're going doubling up? Same reasons. Yeah, there's not really much to add. Do just... you just find him, he's just the one you're most comfortable with? Who, Gary Sinise? N- no. Are you doubling up with me or doubling up with Bill Paxton? No, doubling up with you. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you were saying Bill Paxton. Was oh, right. <laughs> well, yeah, he was a great character. But no, doubling up with you. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. For the same reasons that you just said. Um, and... He doesn't quit. He's not, you know, he's a bit bitter at the beginning about his measles and not being able to go, which he, he says later, you know, I still don't have the measles. And stares out the doctor. Yeah. The flight doctor. <laughs> that was a good moment. But I just thought, yeah, he kind of saved the day. He was an MVP. So, okay. Background performer. So someone that has one line or less. So I'm going to go for the um in the military school mm-hmm. the officer or the teacher that comes and puts his hand on your background character's shoulder oh max elliot slade almost certain you're picking him yes. as he only had the one line of course he was colt from the three ninjas he was good with a bat wasn't he yeah when he's practicing his weapons drill of course he is what a great guy. great hand-eye coordination reflexes he was a ninja dom <laughs> he was a ninja in two movies. Three. Three two, movies. Two, three, three. Three. He was in three. He just wasn't at the there was, mountain one. Yeah, there was yeah, there was four and he was the only one. Him and grandpa went through Oh no, Grandpa went into all four. Yeah. It was him that went into the original three. But in the third one, Rocky and Tum Tum changed. But they released them out of order. 
So they made the first one, they filmed the second one, filmed the third one, released the second one after the third one. <laughs> and then Mike Olasky's in the last one. And then Big Bang Mike, yeah. <laughs> which was a great episode. Yeah. Check that out if you haven't listened to that one. And obviously we also have um, our Free Ninjas episode with Kate Sargent, who played Emily from Free Ninjas. I think that's probably... Oh, maybe one of our best episodes ever, actually. I would agree. So, yeah, check that one out. Uh, and then finally, the precious, precious rating. What is your rating, Dom? Two ratings. One, subjective nostalgia. What does it mean to you? Second, objective film critic hat on. What do you think? Out of ten. From an objective point of view. Always going in objective first. I'm going to say seven. Ooh. Actually, it's a really well put together film, uh-huh. but it's incredibly long. You gave Clueless an eight. No, I didn't. I'm sure you did. Or a seven. No, no, you gave Clueless a seven. I'm just checking then. So you're giving this the same as Clueless. In terms of how it holds up today? Just your objective view. But... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because I think it's an incredibly long film. It it takes a long time to get into space. Okay. I get all that. Um, but there's a lot of, there's probably a lot of scenes that we could have got rid of. Oh, you think? From the beginning, yeah. Okay. I think there's a few bits that weren't necessarily necessary, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so if we're taking a bit out of it, if we made it just shy of two hours, might might have been an eight keep this as a director's car yeah absolutely absolutely with commentary on top of it <laughs> okay with the real jim lovell and tom hanks next to each other talking about it okay all right so seven objectively and what about your nostalgia rating nine wow this is, high. This, this is high for me so this is tom hanks playing um like a hero and just having a but, you know, just a quality film, isn't it? It's just a disaster film where everything sort of comes together at the end. Fantastic cast. Uh, it, watched it a lot when I was younger. Um, I just really, really enjoy this film and I always have done. So I know I, I gave it a, a seven for my subjective, but from on a personal level, it just means a lot more to me. Is this your second favourite Tom Hanks film? Ooh, it's in the top five. Wow. Okay. Without you have to put them in order. Apart from saving Private Ryan as first, what are the other four? We can just throw them out. Can I guess? I'd guess. I don't know. Castaway. That's a good one. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Definitely. Gary Sinise again. Hundred percent. Forrest Gump. I, th- I think it might be... Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can as well. So it might be Private Ryan, yeah. Forrest Gump, Apollo 13 as my top three. Okay. And then Catch Me If You Can and then something else. Castaway, did you like that one? I wouldn't put it in my top five. Oh, okay. It was good, but I wouldn't put it in my top five. What else is he in? Philadelphia. Philadelphia's a great film. Um... Toy Story. Toy Story. <laughs> one to four. Toy Story, he's got to be up there, I think. Yeah. Ground, what's his groundbreaking. Other, what's his other big one? There's like one more big one we're missing, isn't there? I don't know. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say objectively, I would give it an eight. Ooh. Yeah. I I kind of I might feel like I've been trashing on it, but that's uh, it's very much my subjective point of view. If I'm looking at it from how it's been made to the cast, the directing, the cinematography, the effects. All of that stuff, it, I, it's like an eight to me. But it's just, it's a movie I would watch once. And I'm like, great film, don't need to watch it again. Oh. Like, and the same, Schindler's List, great, don't need to watch it again. I can't, I can't watch, it's very different. But I can't watch 12 Years a Slave again. Like, I know, it, I remember thinking it was a great film. But it was like so harrowing, I can't watch it again. Like, it's a, it's, yes, I know it's an amazing film can't do it again um and apollo 13 isn't in that uh way but it is in that sort of arena of i've seen it i seen it done with it um but on, on a nostalgia rating i'd probably give it like like a five just because i have no nostalgia i don't really have i remember it a bit but i kind of just remember it as oh yeah spe- like sort of the space movie but <laughs> But I, uh, you know, I see why people like it a lot, and I like it. It's just not one that I would continually revisit. That's all. But I gave it a higher objective rating than you did. Right? You did. Um, but yes, good film. Thank you, Matt, for uh, for picking it. I hope that we did it justice. Um, this would be a great time to to say that if you would like to pick the movie that we choose next you can do so by listening to this you just became a raven hello and welcome to the mighty 90s podcast network our network is made up of two podcasts the mighty 90s movie and tv podcast a look back at 90s movies we grew up with and the ravens a one tree hill podcast covering each individual episode of the show All of our podcast episodes are free on all podcast platforms. But if you would like to support us on our podcast journey, then we have free Patreon tiers with bonus content and ways to connect with us that we'd love to share with you. All of our Patreon tiers include all of our podcasts. The first tier, Junior Varsity. You receive one week early access on all of our podcast episodes, a patron shout out on the podcast, access to our monthly One Tree Hill bonus episode, exclusive access to non-90s movies that we will cover and a 90s movie title of your choice on the wheel. Your movie title choice will be put on this wheel and at the end of each Mighty 90s episode we will spin the wheel and that will decide what movie we will cover next. The second tier, Varsity. All of the perks from Junior Varsity and you get to add a non-90s movie from any year to the wheel and the final tier hall of fame if there is anyone out there that loves our work this much that we want to speak with you so you get all of the previous perks and we will invite you to co-host an episode of the podcast with us we appreciate any level of support from an instagram follow to any of our patreon tiers we love doing this and we appreciate you all be gentle with us and wear gloves So that is the wheel spinning for what we're going to do next. And it has landed on Billy Madison. 
Hey. That's a completely different film. (laughs) Very different. So Billy Madison will be the next episode we will cover on the Mighty 90s. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate the support. If you enjoy our podcast, then please rate, review, subscribe. Write us a little rating. Give us a little five stars. That really helps us to push our podcast out and get more visibilities to get out to more people just like you. You can find us on social media, Dom. Yeah, we are on Instagram at the Mighty 90s. Uh, so check out our pictures, check out um, the content we've got on there and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think about uh, this film and any of the other films that we've covered. And if you'd like to get in touch by email, you can email us at the mighty 90s. That's 90 as in 90s. So the mighty 90s podcast at gmail.com. And most importantly, as always, what do people need to do, Dom? Be gentle with us. And wear gloves. <laughs> <laughs>